Section 9 of Make Mine Homogenized by Rick Raphael. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield. The Second Problem. Banging around in the back end of a common cattle truck, Sally Sloverdale Marathon Third came home to the Circle T in disgrace. In a corner of the truck, the late Solomon's harem cackled and voiced loud cries of misery as they huddled in the rude, slatted shipping coop. The truck turned off the county road and into the dirt road leading to the main buildings. It rattled across the cattle guard and through the new, unprotected and open gate in the barbed wire fence. Life had returned almost to normal at the Circle T, but not for long. Five days after Sally's ignominious dismissal from the armed forces, a staff car came racing up to the ranch. It skidded to a halt at the back porch steps. Dr. Peterson jumped out and dashed up to the kitchen door. Well, for heaven's sakes, Hetty cried. Come on in, sonny. I ain't seen you for the longest spell. Peterson entered and looked around. Where's Johnny, Miss Thompson? He asked excitedly. I've got some wonderful news. Now, ain't that nice, Hetty exclaimed. Your wife have a new baby or something? Johnny's down at the barn. I'll call him for you. She moved towards the door. Never mind, Peterson said, darting out the door. I'll go down to the barn. He jumped from the porch and ran across the yard. He found Johnny in the barn rigging a new block and tackle for the hayloft. Barney was helping thread the new manila line from a coil on the straw-littered floor. Johnny! We found it, Peterson shouted jubilantly as he burst into the barn. Why, Doc, good to see you again, Johnny said. Found what? The secret of Sally's milk, Peterson cried. He looked wildly around the barn. Where is she? Who? Sally, of course, the science shelved. Oh, she's down in the lower pasture with Queenie, Johnny replied. She's all right, isn't she? Peterson asked anxiously. Oh, sure, she's fine, Doc. Why? Listen, Peterson said hurriedly. Our people think they've stumbled on something. Now we still don't know what's in those eggs or in Sally's milk that makes them react as they do. All we've been able to find is some strange isotope. But we don't know how to reproduce it or synthesize it. But we do think we know what made Sally give that milk and made those hens start laying the gold eggs. Johnny and Barney laid down their work and motioned the excited scientists to join them on a bench against the horse stalls. Do you remember the day Sally came fresh? Peterson continued. Not exactly, Johnny replied, but I could look it up in my journal. I keep a good record of things like new registered stock births. Never mind, Peterson said. I've already checked it. It was May 9th. He paused and smiled triumphantly. I guess that's right, if you say so, Johnny said. But what about it? And that was the same day that the hens laid the first golden egg, too, wasn't it? Peterson asked. Why, it sure was, Doc, Barney chimed in. I remember because Ms. Thompson was so mad 
that the milk was bad and the eggs went wrong both in the same day. That's what we know. Now listen to this, Johnny, the scientist continued. During the night of May 8th, we fired an entirely new kind of test shot on the range. I can't tell you what it was, only to say that it was a special atomic device that even we didn't know too much about. That's why we fired it from a cave in the side of a hill down there. Since then, our people have been working on the pretty good assumption that something happened to that cow and those chickens not long before they started giving the eggnog ingredients. Someone remembered the experimental test shot, checked the date, and then went out and had a look at the cave. We already had some earlier suspicions that this device produced a new type of beam ray. We took sightings from the cave found them to be in a direct, unbroken line with the Circle T. We set up the device again and, using a very small model, tried it out on some chick embryos. Sure enough, we got a mutation, but not the right kind. So we're going to recreate the entire situation right here. We're going to expose not only Sally, but a dozen other Guernseys from as close to her bloodline as we can get. And we already knew that you had a young rooster sired by Solomon. But, Doc, Johnny protested, Sally had a calf early that morning. Isn't that going to make a difference? Of course it is, Peterson exclaimed. And she's going to have another one the same way. And so are all the other cows. You're the one that told me she had her calf by artificial insemination, didn't you? Johnny nodded. Well that she's going to have another calf from the same bull, and so will the other cows. Poor Sally, Barney said sorrowfully. They're sure taking the romance out of motherhood for you. The next day, the guards were back on the gate. By mid-afternoon, twenty-five fine young Gerseys arrived, together with the Corps of Veterinarians, Biologists, and Security Police. By nightfall, Sally and her companions were all once again in a delicate condition. A mile from the ranch house, a dormitory was built for the veterinarians and biologists, and a barracks thrown up for the security guards. A $35,000 12-foot-high chain-link fence topped by barbed wire was constructed around the pasture, and armored cars patrolled the fence by day and kept guard over the pregnant bovines by night in the barn. Through the fall and into the winter and back to budding spring again, the host of experts and guards watched and cared for the new calf-bloated herd. The fact that Sally had gone dry and been kept a carefully guarded national secret to keep up the pretense and show to the world that America still controlled the only proven method of man's space travel, the Joint Chiefs of Staff voted to expend 200 gallons of the precious small store of milk on hand for another interplanetary junket, this time to inspect the rings around Saturn. Piloting a smaller and more sophisticated but equally well-protected version of Icarus, Major Quartermain abandoned the flesh pots of Earth and the adulteration of his coast-to-coast -coast collection of worshipping females to again hurtle into the unknown. It was strictly a milk run, Major Quartermain was quoted as saying, 
as he emerged from his ship after an uneventful but propaganda-loaded trip. By the middle of May, it was the consensus of the veterinarians that delivery day would be July 4th. Plans were drafted for the repeated atomic cave shot at 9 p.m. July 3rd. The pregnant herd was to be given labor-inducing shots at midnight, and if all went well, deliveries would start within a few hours. Just to be sure that nothing would shield the cows from the rays of the explosion, they were put in a corral on the south side of the barn until 9.30 p.m. on the night of the firing. Solomon's successor and a new bevy of hens were already roosting. In the same old chicken house, an egg production was normal. On the night of July 3rd, at precisely 9 p.m., a sheet of lightning erupted from the Nevada hillside cave, and the ground shook and rumbled for a few miles. It wasn't a powerful blast, nor had been the original shot. Sixty miles away, thirteen Guernsey cows munched at a rick of fresh hay and chewed contentedly in the moonlight. At 3.11 a.m. the following morning, the first calf arrived, followed in rapid order by a dozen more. Sally's Cloverdale Marathon the third dropped her calf at 4.08 a.m. on Independence Day. At 7 a.m. she was milked and produced two and a half gallons of absolutely clear, odorless, tasteless, and non-ignitable fluid. Eleven other Guernseys gave forth gushing, foaming, creamy, rich gallon after gallon of grade A milk. The thirteenth cow filled two buckets with something that looked like weak cocoa and smelled like a stale tea. But when a white-smocked University of California poultry specialist entered the chicken house later in the morning, he found nothing but normal white fresh eggs in the nest. He finally arrived at the conclusion that Solomon's old harem had known for some time whatever it was that Solomon had been gifted with. This new rooster just didn't have it. A rush call went out for a dozen of the precious store of golden eggs to be sent to the testing labs downrange. Two hours later, Dr. Peterson, surrounded by fellow scientists, stood before a bank of closed-circuit television monitors in Frenchman's Flat headquarters building. The scene on the screen was the interior of a massive steel and concrete test building several miles uprange. Resting on the floor of the building was an open, gallon-sized glass beaker filled with a new version of Sally's milk. Poised directly above the opening of the beaker was a funnel-shaped vessel containing the contents of one golden egg. Dr. Peterson reached for a small lever. By remote control, the lever would gradually open the bottom of the funnel. He squeezed gently, slowly applying pressure. An involuntary gasp rose from the spectators as a tiny trickle of egg fluid fell from the funnel towards the open beaker. Instinctively, everyone in the room clamped their eyes shut in anticipation of a blast. A second later, Peterson peered cautiously at the screen. The beaker of milk had turned a cloudy pale blue. It neither fizzed nor exploded. It just sat. He levered another drop from the funnel. The stringy, glutinous mass plopped into the beaker and the liquid swirled briefly and turned more opaque, taking on more of a bluish tinge. A babble of voices broke through the room when it was apparent that no explosion was forthcoming. Peterson slumped into a nearby chair and stared at the screen. Now what? he moaned. The what developed five hectic hours later, after time lost 
initially in shaking, bouncing, beaming the new substance on the outside chance it might develop a latent tendency toward demolition. Satisfied that whatever it was in the beaker wasn't explosive, the liquid was quickly poured off into 16 small half-pint beakers and speeded to as many different laboratories for possible analysis. What about the other stuff? Peterson was asked, referring to the brownish milk subsequently identified as coming from a dainty cow known as Melody Buttercup Greenbrier IV. One thing at a time replied Peterson. Let's find out what we have here before we got involved in a second problem. End of section 9. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield, Mississippi, USA.